one person. Is that the only person? Weak. Good morning to you. Hope you're well today. I'm grateful to have the chance for us to be together, and I'm really thankful that uh, you have made it a priority to come together this morning with the church family uh, to worship God together, and I'm so thankful that we get a chance to learn from His Word together. I'm really excited about this morning and the next few weeks. If you have a copy of a Bible some, uh, with you, uh, you can turn or click to the book of Galatians uh, this morning. Now, if you didn't bring a Bible, it's not on your phone, no, no worries. We'll put most of the scripture on the screen that you can follow along with. But I'd love for you to turn, and we're going to be in this book for some time, so you might want to put a place marker in there and go back and study as we uh, will be walking through the entirety of this book to get together. So the book of Galatians is a letter. It is an, it's one of the epistles of Paul written under the, where Paul wrote the words of God, and uh, he wrote it to several churches that we're going to see this morning. And so for the next 12 weeks, we are going to dive deep into this letter in a new series that we are calling No Other Gospel, because we believe that what Paul is really wanting to communicate to the body of Christ in Galatia and to us today is that there truly is no other gospel. There's only one true gospel. Now, Galatians is an extremely important book that is so rich in gospel, and it's extremely relevant for the times that we live in. I don't think that there has ever been a time before where I feel there has been a greater need for gospel declaration, for gospel demonstration, and then maybe as important of all in that list of gospel clarification. What is the gospel? We use that word a lot, and we say gospel this and gospel that and centered on gospel and all these things, but we, I feel like we sometimes start dumping a lot of things into that category of gospel and we lose the, the essence of what is the true gospel. And so if this gospel, the true gospel, the only, only real gospel is our hope in life, then it must be the banner that we as the church hold high. It has to be. And this is what Paul aims to do in his letter to the churches. Uh, Martin Luther, who was one of the, the great reformers uh, in the, during the Reformation, you, he's one of the more famous ones, uh, you know, nailed the thesis to the door of the church and has written and spoke on the, the, the Re Reformation in many regards, was a leader in that. He said of Galatians that to him it is the most important book in the entire Bible. He said that to him Galatians has as much gospel importance as the book of Romans because while Romans tells you what the gospel is, Galatians tells you what the gospel is not. And he said that may be as every bit as important to understand. So that we might know the gospel truth and recognize gospel imposters, counterfeit gospels. Luther went, went so far as to say that if it was possible to marry a letter, Galatians would be his wife. Uh, you know, you remember as a kid, if someone would say something like, I love pizza, we would say, well, if you love it, why don't you marry it, you know? And, well, Luther says, I would love to do that if possible. And he says, if, if it was possible to marry a letter, Galatians would be her name. And so, a little strange, but so through our, our study, the prayer for this series is that we as a church might hear the timeless words of Paul echo from the epistles to the church at Galatia to our hearts today so that we might recapture the essence of the gospel and that we might be ensured that it is central in the life and activity of the church here at Four Points. Now this series will cover a variety of issues that were taking place in the churches, but a simplified theme of this book is that salvation comes through faith in Christ, not through works. If you're going to say, man, what's the summary of this book, Galatians, in a one-line elevator talk, the book of Galatians is, that, is about salvation comes through faith in Christ, not through works. It's a salvation by faith, not the law. If I could draw out a theme verse to describe that, Galatians 2.16 is probably that verse that really captures in a few short words uh, the, the essence of the, the, the theme of Galatians. And that is this, it says, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. 
Now, the churches in Galatia were being persuaded to adopt this both-and approach to the gospel, that it requires both faith in Christ. They were not denouncing the role of Jesus, but they were saying it takes faith in Christ accompanied by works and the law. And so this letter will address several issues, but ultimately the, the, the Jews were saying, the, the ones who had come and who were the, called the Judaizers, they were wanting to add circumcision and they were wanting to add uh, following the Mosaic law as ingredients to the gospel, that it requires both. And so Paul wants to provide a correction in them, to them in order that they might then recenter their lives on the only true gospel. In church today, we must pay careful attention, the most careful attention, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. When you think about drifting from something, do you know how much effort it takes to drift? To drift, to drift just float, to drift. None. It takes no effort. You know, I, I grew up in a really, really small rural town. Any other fellow rednecks here this morning? I'm in Dustin again, so that's the last time I'll do that joke. Same result in the first service. Two rednecks, and they work here. Wow. So, but when, in my little small town, you know, one of the activities was to get on the, go on a river and float, right? You ever floated a river? Okay, wow. Really disconnecting this morning. So, floating a river, you know, you might have gone in your canoe or kayak, but, you know, we would go in these inner tubes, right? You get these big, there you go. Yeah, South Alabama, that's, that's right. Uh, we would take these inner tubes and we would, you just float down and it took zero effort. You didn't bring a paddle. You didn't bring anything. The river floated you down to your destination. And it's like that in the spiritual life that it, when, when, when we... We're not just in, a, in our spiritual pursuit of God. We're not just in a passive state. We're growing towards him or we're drifting from him. John Piper describes it like this. He said, the life of this world is not a lake, it's a river. And it's flowing downward to destruction. It says, if you do not listen earnestly to Jesus and consider him daily and fix your eyes on him hourly, then you will not stand neutral. You won't stand still. You will go backwards. You will drift. You will float by. And so for us, as we enter into this letter, my hope is that we might see the warning that Paul gives the church at Galatia, that, the, that you don't drift. Don't drift from this true gospel. Don't drift away from it. Well, how have we drifted? Well, you subtly let these things come in. And he says, don't drift by that. Hold to the true gospel. We want to see this morning. Uh, the truth that comes from these first 10 verses. So if you'll join me, uh, Galatians chapter 1, and we're going to do the first 10 verses. But before we do, let's pray. Our Father, it's a joy to, to be able to be in your word today. God, we are all here, not as those who have all knowledge, teaching to those who need knowledge. God, we are your children sitting at your feet, asking you that through your spirit you might teach all of us. God, we want to know you more. Jesus, we want to grasp the gospel more. We want our hearts to be overflowed with emotion, overflowing with emotion for what the gospel produces in us. God, we don't want to lose our grasp on the only true gospel. God, we realize there is only one gospel. And I pray that as we study this morning, God, that if there's anyone here who doesn't know that gospel, that they will realize it and come to know it. And God, for those of us who may have walked with you for years, that God, you would help us to just go back to that place, Father, where we first received the gospel and the emotions and the thrill we felt of being your children. God, would you restore that in our hearts through this word? And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Galatians chapter 1. Verse 1 says this. It says, Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. And let me pause right there. Normally, you might just breeze, when you're reading the Bible, you might just breeze past the intro. But in Galatians, there are a couple of things that we see right away that help create the context for our understanding of this letter. Now, letters in this time period would normally follow a pattern, specifically Paul's letters, they would begin with an opening 
called a salutation. And this is where Paul would usually do three things. He would first of all introduce himself, Paul, servant of Jesus, Paul, you know, a, a redeemed uh, messenger of Christ, whatever it is that he might use in different letters, something to that effect. Then he would identify who he is writing to, and then he would normally do some type of thanksgiving. It would sort of ease into the letter. You know, I follow somewhat of a similar structure whenever I come up here to teach uh, each Sunday. I, I welcome you. I thank you for being here. I welcome you as a guest. I say, uh, you know, I hope this is a favorable time for you and that you are experience the love of Christ in community. I invite you to turn to a passage. I begin to set up the points uh, of the sermon and kind of ease into it. That's kind of how, how we work when we come in here. But I want you to imagine with me, and that's the way Paul would normally work, but imagine with me, if you will, that one particular Sunday, I'm sitting here on the front row and I've been, been worshiping, and then I walk up here and I get behind the podium and I just go, all right, we got to get down to business today. You folks, you need some correction. You have been just really spiritually tripping. We got to get back to it. We got to deal with it. And I just started with that. I kind of like that. Maybe next Sunday. <laughs> what is the deal with you people? I'm just kidding. That's kind of what Paul is up to, though. Paul breaks from his traditional writing style because Paul is not happy. Paul is very upset here. You say, well, I didn't really get a lot out of that, but let me tell you what was taking place. Paul, he dives right into one of the aims of the letter to the churches at Galatia, and that is the defense of his apostleship. That's why, why he starts that verse so much differently. One of the issues that was happening among the churches of Galatia is that they were questioning the apostleship of Paul. Okay, so, there's a, so look back. at Paul starts off by identifying himself not as a servant of Christ, not as a slave of Christ, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father. He dives right in to one of the central aims of his letter, and that's to the defense of his apostleship. Now, one of the issues that was happening among the churches of Galatia is that they were questioning whether or not Paul was an apostle. Apparently, there were critics that were saying that Paul was not one of the original 12 disciples. He didn't walk with Jesus firsthand. He was kind of late to the party, and he had not been commissioned directly from Jesus like the disciples were. So he really wasn't an apostle, and so his gospel and the things that he shared were not really the gospel. And that's what was being criticized at Paul. And Paul defends himself against these claims. He says that his apostleship didn't have a human source, nor did it come through human channels, but instead his apostleship came from Jesus and God the Father. He starts with that. If you look, I'm an apostle, but I'm not an apostle from man. I'm not an apostle through man, but I'm, a, I'm an apostle through Jesus Christ and God the Father. And for Paul, this isn't an ego deal. Paul is not upset that his ego has been hurt, where, where he's all in his feelings and he needs to defend his reputation. That's not what's happening here. What makes Paul upset is that the entirety of his life is about the gospel. And so ultimately, the gospel, not his ego, is ultimately under attack through the attack of his apostleship. Now, Paul, as a servant of Christ, has, was long over himself. Paul was not one of these guys that every now and then needed his, his ego massaged. That's not Paul. Paul had said in his letter to the church at Philippi, he tells them that if anybody has a reason to have confidence in the flesh, he says, I do. He's like, man, if we want to just lay resumes on the table, man, I got more reason to, you know, I, I did it all. I was a good Pharisee. I was smart. I was a leader. I persecuted the church. I did everything and better than anybody else could claim. But he says that he considers all of those things that in the Pharisees' minds would have been accomplishments. He says that everything that he has accomplished, he considers it garbage compared to knowing Jesus. That's the intensity that Paul has for the gospel. Paul's not saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am an apostle. I've done all these things. No, Paul doesn't care. Paul is saying, I want to defend my apostleship because I am preaching a true gospel and I don't want anything said about me to take away from the truth of the gospel that I proclaim. And so he says, I count everything as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And so Paul here is not defending his apostleship supremely because his feelings are hurt. He's doing it as a defense of the gospel. 
Because what was at stake at this letter was not just his reputation, but the true gospel of salvation. And that's what the church at Galatia had begun to drift from. So Paul defends himself in order to defend the gospel. So we see the author is the apostle Paul, and we see one of his main aims at the beginning is to write this letter about his apostleship to, and you look at verse 3, uh, all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. So he's writing to the churches in Galatia. Now there is some question as to who the churches in Galatia were. There are two regions basically. Some say it was written to a group of people in the north which were uh, in northern uh, Asia Minor. They were actually called the Galatians because they were from Galatia, an area there. But, But then over time, the ancient world there, Galatia became to be known as a region. And we read about that in the book of Acts. And and so this letter was written to churches in the southern region, I believe, who are in the region that is called Galatia. Now, I believe this to be an accurate, and this is just to paint a picture of the context, I believe this to be an accurate description because Paul did extensive traveling in the south on ministry missions, but didn't do as much in the north. And so he actually planted four churches in four key cities that are referred to in Galatia. The cities that Paul would work in were Pisidian Antioch, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. And in Acts 13 through 14, in the region of Galatia, Paul planted churches and the gospel took root in each one of these cities. And so now, because of the language, he is probably writing back to those churches that he helped plant it. So we have the writer identified and the recipient identified, but instead then in the third piece that is normally accustomed to Paul's writings, instead of a word of thanksgiving, Paul goes hard because we will see throughout this letter there is a group of people called Judaizers who were trying to influence the church of Galatia away from the only true gospel. Paul's critics were Jewish Christians. They claimed some affiliation to the church in Jerusalem. And they were tainting the gospel by teaching the church at Galatia that it is faith plus works of the Jewish law. They were teaching that to be a Christian, you have to be circumcised, and you have to follow the Mosaic law. They were putting the church at Galatia away from the only true gospel and perverting the true power of the gospel to save without works. They were teaching a false gospel that said justification had to be helped out. It took the The cross of Christ is necessary, but we have to do works. It's the salvation through the gospel plus works. And Paul says this is not a true gospel. You've heard it said before that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Well, if you are a math person, you can rearrange that equation and we can see then that, that everything minus Jesus is equal to nothing. That for us, it's all about Jesus all about the gospel. The gospel is everything, and Paul believes that. In the world we live in today, we see much of the same issues that Paul was addressing in our culture. The Judaizers were teaching a gospel. They would believe that Jesus is the Son of God and the Savior. They would believe that he died on the cross for the sins of humanity. They would believe that he rose again, and they would believe that repentance and faith in Jesus were essential for salvation. But they were adding to the gospel of grace by saying that you also have to do the works and the requirements of the law. And like the Judaizers in the church at Galatia, I fear that the the church's greatest enemy today I really believe that the church's greatest enemy today might not be those outside of the church that are anti-gospel, but instead those within the church who are drifting towards a counterfeit gospel. I fear that one of our greatest enemies is a false gospel being preached among the body of believers. The most dangerous threat to the only true gospel is those who preach a counterfeit gospel but call it gospel. The most dangerous threat to the only true gospel is those who preach a counterfeit savior but call him the savior. The most dangerous threat to the only true gospel are those who are not followers of Jesus but claim to know the way to follow Jesus. And just because someone says they are Christian or just because someone says the word gospel doesn't mean they have a grasp of what is the true gospel. And just because somebody preaches a gospel, it doesn't mean it is the true gospel. And that's just what Paul wants to introduce. And that's just the first two verses of an introduction. And he's already digging in. Let's look at verse 3. Paul says this, 
Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Now, what is Paul saying here? Paul, his initial greeting is that the Galatians would be reminded of the grace and the peace that flows from God the Father through Jesus. Paul would often speak in his letters of the grace of God when he would write, but this was extremely intentional here because for the Galatians, they were running the risk of drifting from a gospel of grace that has at its foundation the sufficiency of grace and peace that is found in God, and they are falling away from that. And so he tells them right off the bat, man, let me remind you, grace to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, the source of grace, the source of peace. And Paul shows the power of the gospel to not only have the justifying effect of salvation from sin, but also to have a sanctifying effect of deliverance from the power of sin in this present age. Look at the end of that uh, verse 4. He delivered us from the present evil age. And this is the will of God our Father. And this is so important, church. We so often view the gospel as something that gets us into heaven, as our conversion experience that pays the price for our sin. And it does, but the gospel has power in this life to help us resist the temptation to sin and live a life that glorifies the Father. It has a justifying effect, but it has a sanctifying effect in our life. Do you see that? He delivered us. He delivered us. He gave himself for our sins, justification, to deliver us from the present evil age, sanctification, delivered us from the penalty of sin, and is delivering us from the power of sin. And so in these verses, Paul does what he is accustomed to do, and that is in order to reopen the eyes of Galatia to see that there is only one true gospel He illuminates the truth of this only true gospel. In verses 1 through 2, if you look back, he speaks of the resurrection of Jesus. He he claims that he has authority that has been given him from God for the message. He shows the resurrection of Jesus. And then in verses 3 through 5, he tells us what the message is. And he talks about the crucifixion of Jesus. We so often look for so many other ways to recenter our lives on God. And for a church that needed to be recentered... Paul starts with the gospel itself. He doesn't panic. He doesn't say, I've got to come up with five steps to uh, overcoming the church growth hump. He doesn't say, you know, I need to give them three steps on how to recenter their life. I need to give them five other scriptures to help them guide this. No, what does Paul say? He says, man, this church is experiencing a drift. So let's go back to the gospel. Let's preach the gospel. Let's start with the gospel. And we learn well from that church. To help help recover the gospel of grace, we need the gospel. And from this introduction, we see the first point this morning. And that is this, from these first five verses. The only true gospel is a gospel worth clinging to. The only true gospel is a gospel worth clinging to. The word cling there literally means we have got to hold on to it, white-knuckled, refusing to let go of the gospel. The gospel is not a starting point of our faith, although it is where we enter into a relationship with Jesus, but the gospel is an all-of-life pursuit. And we need to cling to it. In a day and age where we are, are tempted to, to shift from the true gospel to start kind of, kind of dulling the edges of the gospel to make it more palatable, to make it more easier to follow, you and I need to maintain and hold on to the true gospel. This was Paul's strategy. He didn't come to Galatia and use charisma, leadership and power and authority that he had in the church as as an apostle. He didn't use persuasion. He didn't use knowledge to convince people. Instead, he just preached the gospel. He didn't dive right into the issue without first setting the foundation for anything that he would challenge the church in. Some of you might right now might be searching. Maybe for some of you in this room, you are searching for truth, you are searching for a way for your life to be back centered on the main thing. That might be you. And when life is unpredictable and we find ourselves struggling, we don't try to claw our way back to right standing. We run to the gospel. 
we run to the gospel. Paul was a guy who had much ability and much had many accolades next to his name. But let me tell you what his words are in relation to clinging to the gospel. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4, he says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Look at verse 3. For I delivered to you as of first importance. Okay, not an importance, not something I want to tack on, and then I'm going to get to what's most important. I delivered to you as of first importance that Jesus Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. Verse 4, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. What is of, what is of first importance? The gospel. That's what Paul says. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 through 5, Paul says this, And when I came to you, brothers, I didn't come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. I didn't impress you. I didn't persuade you by my, uh, my speaking abilities. He, decided, he said, when I, came, when I came to you, verse 2, For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and fear and in much trembling, Look at this. You want to talk about a, 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 a public speaking disaster? Look what he says. My speech and my message were not even implausible words of wisdom. Like I, you weren't impressed with my knowledge. But what was impressive? The demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul says the gospel is of so much importance. And he begins in the introduction to Galatians, in Galatians 1 by talking about the power of the resurrection. He's, if you look, it's quite interesting. Paul doesn't begin with the crucified Jesus and then end with the resurrected Christ, but instead he begins by saying in verse 1 that he was called through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead, who raised Jesus from the dead. Now this might seem like somewhat backwards to the normal gospel presentation, but remember something about Paul. Paul is defending his apostleship and his calling to Jesus. And Paul did not meet Jesus at the cross, but he, instead he met the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus. This is of importance to him. His calling to Christ began with a personal encounter with the resurrected Jesus. If you look at, you don't turn there, but on the screen it should be there. Acts chapter 9, verses 3 through 5 describes the event like this. It says, now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus. And suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said this. He said, who are you, Lord? Paul recognizes this is something unique. This is after Jesus had died and been, and rose and, had been uh, raised from the dead. And he says, who are you? And he says, I'm Jesus. I'm the one you are persecuting. Paul knew that Jesus had been crucified just days earlier. He knew that Jesus had been crucified, and Paul was avid to stop that message, and he was an avid persecutor of the church, and the gospel breaks into his life, and he says, who are you? And he says, man, I'm Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, and I'm speaking to you, and your eyes have been blinded, and I'm breaking into your heart with the gospel. The resurrection of Jesus is foundational to the gospel, and it was foundational to Paul's life. Jesus died on a cross. His body was taken down and put in a borrowed grave. And on the third day, God the Father raised Jesus back to life. And he appeared to eyewitnesses. And for Paul, he had encountered the risen Christ and it had transformed his life. So Paul sees the power of the resurrection. He says, man, I was, I was just trash, man. I, was, I, I spent so much time just killing people and, and approving of, of martyrdom. And I hated the church and I hated this message. But then I met the resurrected Jesus and he called my name, and from then on, it's never been the same. It's been all gospel to me. And so for Paul, there was power in the resurrection. But then if you look back down at, verses, at verse 4, he says, Who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. We see the second piece, and that's the sufficiency of the crucifixion. If we're going to cling to this gospel... We're going to cling to it. It's the power of the resurrection. It's also the sufficiency of the crucifixion. The resurrection without the crucifixion is no gospel at all. And, and, and through the letter to the churches in Galatia, 
we're going to, as we kind of fly over at 30,000 feet, we're going to see several things through Paul's letter specifically about the cross of Christ. And we're going to see, first of all, that Christ was willing to die on the cross. It's going to be an important message. You see it here in our text this morning. Who gave himself for our sins. Not who was murdered for our sins. Not who was forced to die for our sins. He gave himself for our sins. And Paul wants you to know that that gospel is motivated by a pursuing Christ who came for his people. Christ was willing to die on the cross. Jesus would say uh, that no one took his life, but he willingly lays it down. He willingly lays down his life. So Christ was willing to die on the cross. Second, Christ was able to pay the price for, the sin on the, for our sin on the cross. That's very important, church. The gospel is, is, is good news because this is just not an example of ultimate sacrifice that we then say, I should sacrifice uh, myself for the sake of other people, although that is something Jesus modeled. But this was an actual necessary sacrifice that was sufficient and efficient to pay the price for the sins of the world. This had to happen. Do you realize that? This gospel story, it had to take place for us to be able to be here and to proclaim who we are. So Christ is able to pay the price. Christ is able to deliver us from the power of sin because of the cross. I love in verse 4, he gave himself up for our sins. He delivered us from, he delivers us from the present evil age. Now we know that this is an eternal deliverance when Christ returns for his church. But we also know that in this life, he is sanctifying us towards holiness. He is making sin more and more bitter in our mouths so that Christ might be more and more sweet. So Christ is able to deliver you. You might be here this morning and you might be saying, I'm so tired of wrestling with sin. This has been years now and I can't get rid of this stuff. And I want to ask you, have you allowed the power of the gospel to replace those things, those idols that you worship so that you might be delivered? God gives us deliverance and its source is the gospel. Christ is able to deliver us. And finally, God was willing to express his love through the cross. As I think about this, the Father does not love us because Jesus died for us, but rather Jesus died for us because the Father loves us. God the Father willed the Son to die. Isaiah 53, 10. It says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. You with me on that? Hundreds of years before Jesus would die on the cross, the prophet Isaiah would let us know the great love of God that's expressed through the cross when he says, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord. Do you see this, man? The will of the Lord shall prosper in the hand of Jesus. It's the will of the Father to express his love to his people through the cross. Acts chapter 2, verse 22 through 24. Peter, who was just moments uh, sooner, a, a previous, had forsaken Jesus three times and denied him. In fact, in, face, in, in the face of a young uh, slave girl. He says, I don't know who, who he is. And now, filled with the Holy Spirit, he preaches a sermon where 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And what's the premise of his, of his message? The gospel. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, midst as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to what? According to your plan? According to evil? What? No, Given up, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. This foreknowledge that Isaiah spoke of in chapter 53, that it was the will of the Lord to crush the Son. He's saying now that you just killed Jesus, who was the Messiah, and you did it based on a plan and a foreknowledge of God the Father. You killed him by the hands of lawless men. But God raised him up, loosening the pains of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. This, this gospel, God demonstrates his love for us in that the, the plan for Jesus is re, for, uh, as the redeemer was a plan that's before the beginning of time. Sin enters the world and the plan is implemented and, and it takes off. And then we sit here today because of Jesus' sacrifice and because of the only, the, one, the only true gospel. And Paul wants the church to know that. He wants to know that this only, this, one, this only one gospel, this only true gospel is a gospel worth clinging to. Man, church, 
I pray that we get to a point to where we just white knuckle the gospel. Man, that my life is just saturated with the gospel. That I, don't, I can't get too much of it. I can't grow beyond it. I can't get too smart for it. I can't get too far from it that I can't have it anymore. But that the gospel is just the centerpiece of our life. That's what Paul says it needs to be, church. He says, Galatians, church at Galatia, man, why are you leaving it? Cling to it. And then Paul ends by saying the ultimate and eternal goal of the gospel, and that's the glory of the Father forever. Why does Paul say to whom be the glory forever and ever? Because together God the Father and God the Son accomplished our salvation through the cross of Christ and announced it through the message of the apostles and applied it to our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And this is all for his glory. Your redemption, my redemption, is for the glory of God. It's for the glory of God. Why did he give himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age? Why did God will that? Because God the Father is the one whom the glory be forever and ever. Let's pick back up in verse 6. Paul has introduced this gospel that needs to be, we need to cling to. And now we see this second point in Galatians 1, 6 through 10. Paul says this, he says, Church, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. I'm astonished at this. And he clarifies. He says, not that there is another, another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the true gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone, he repeats this. He says, man, I'm going to go and I need to say this again. Do you, do you want you to hear me, okay? Look at me, you know, like you do with your kids. You say something, you know, they're not listening. You're like, look me in the eye now. I want, you, I want to know that you're listening. I want you to hear this. He's going a second round here. He says, I'm going to say it again. If anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you receive, the true gospel, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God, or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. We see a second point. So the only true gospel is worth clinging to. The only true gospel is the only gospel worth fighting for. The only true gospel is a gospel worth fighting for. Paul, in this passage, is fighting for the only true gospel. For the Galatians, Paul writes how shocked he is that they are turning from a gospel that they receive as a gospel of grace, and now they're turning to a fake gospel. He, it's like he's racking his brains like, guys, what happened? You received it as a gospel of grace, but now you're turning to a gospel of works. Why are you, t- why are you doing that to yourselves? It's a free gift. Why are you now trying to earn it? Now, this word deserting is a serious word that carries with it the idea of a soldier leaving his army and going and fighting for the enemy. It's that kind of serious. Changing teams. You're a Yankee fan wearing a Red Sox jersey. You know, state fan yelling hotty toddy. This is that kind of turning. Leaving the other team and going to the enemy. And Paul says, I am surprised that you who were called to righteousness through the grace of God are turning to a counterfeit gospel. And he says that there is only one true gospel and that this new teaching they were being tempted by is actually no gospel at all. And for Paul, he isn't describing just a turning from a set of beliefs, but look back at verse 6. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting what? That you are deserting him. I'm so astonished, church, that you are leaving God. That you are, you, are, you are deserting the one who called you into the grace of Christ and then turning to a different gospel. So this is a, this is a leaving God and turning to a fake gospel. He said, I'm shocked at this. I'm shocked at this. And Paul says that it happened so quickly. And then he issues a stern warning to them. This is why Paul is so passionate for the gospel he shifts the attention onto the true gospel. He says, if anybody, now I want you to hear this. Paul says, Church of Galatia, you need to hear this. The gospel that you received, that we were created, per, that we were created in the image of God, sin has separated us from God the Father. But Jesus came and he died on the cross, paying the price for our sins. And when we place our faith in Jesus, his righteousness is 
is thrust onto us. That he was the propitiation for our sins. And by faith in Christ, we have eternal life through Jesus, forgiveness of sins, right union with the Father. This is what Paul is saying. He's saying that is the true gospel. And he said, if anybody preaches to you a gospel that is Jesus plus anything, let him be accursed. He said, if it's an angel from heaven and they tell you anything different, don't believe it. He said, if I come back to you one day and I say, this is the, this is the, uh, the gospel, but I missed a little bit and I'm adding things. He says, let me be accursed. I'm telling you, this is the gospel. It's not about me. It's not about anything. It's about the gospel. It's essential to the believer. It's essential to the church. It's essential for deliverance from sin in this life. And it is essential for eternal life. And Paul says, cling to the true gospel and fight for it. In 1 Timothy 3.15, you can go back and look at that later. Paul writes this to Timothy. He says, if I delay, if I happen to not make it back and I'm late getting there, I want you to know how one ought to behave in the household of God. So he said, if... I've delayed coming. This is what you need to know for the church, how the church is to, uh, to, to be. He says, the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. We're to fight for the true gospel. Now, a pillar and a buttress of truth, let's picture this as like a pillar of this building that's holding up part of this wall here. And a buttress would be like a, a, a post or something that would come off of that. And so this post is supporting the column. The column, the pillar, is supporting the building. And Paul says, church, if that roof up there is truth, then you need to be right here. You are the, you are the protector. You are the pillar and the buttress of this truth. You are holding this up. This is your job. That is how you are supposed to be. You are, you are the ones that are, are the pillar and the buttress of the truth. You need to fight for truth. You need to fight for the gospel. In 2 Timothy 1, 13 through 14, he says this, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Follow this teaching by the Holy Spirit who dwells within you. Follow the lead of the Holy Spirit as you hold to this truth. And he says this in the end, guard the good, guard the good deposit that has been entrusted to you. We have a role in that church. If we miss the gospel, how is anybody going to get the gospel? If we as the church preach a false gospel, how is anybody going to come to know the true gospel? That's our role. And church, we have to see that this morning that we're in a culture that is attempting to conform the gospel to make it more universal and more palatable and easier to follow. And Jesus says, the calling to me is a calling to die. And Paul says, that's the true gospel we need to fight for. We have to be careful to fight for the only true gospel. And I don't mean get in fights and I don't mean be all abrasive and not preach a gospel of grace. I mean fighting in a sense of standing up for what is a true gospel. Now, in our, as we look around, there are many counterfeit gospels today. There's the gospel of prosperity. And it says that if you come to Christ, then what you do for him, he will bless you back financially and with possessions. It's a false gospel. There's a gospel of morality that says that Jesus, his main goal for you is to make you a better version of yourself so that you are a good moral person. It's a false gospel. There's the gospel of self that says that Jesus is the means that I can feel self-satisfied and self-fulfilled and I can earn approval from others. And this gospel puts value on what man thinks. And Paul says in verse 10 that, man, whose who's approval are we seeking? Verse 10, he says, now am I seeking the approval of man or of God? And now more than ever, it is essential, church, that we know the gospel, what it is and what it isn't, and we hold it high and we fight for it because it is the only good, liberating, eternal news. And so as we consider this letter over the next 11 weeks, I want to kind of bring it to a close with an application. And the application I want us to look at is why is Galatians important to the church at Four Points? Why is it important to study this? So we can get a better understanding of what Galatia was struggling with? No. We have, there's some reasons for deeply looking into this letter that are so applicable for us as a church and the church that God wants us to be. And the first one is this. We're going to see through Galatians that God desires his church to believe the only true gospel. That's God's desire for us. 
I would venture to say that for most of you, most of you in this room, you are not tempted. If we look at the surface of what's going on in Galatia, I would say that you are not tempt, you have not been tempted to drift from the gospel of grace towards works because you are just really passionate about circumcision and following the Mosaic law. Probably most of you are not saying, you know, I believe this gospel stuff, man. There's something to that circumcision, bro. Some to those dietary laws. We find ourselves in a totally different situation, but even though we aren't tempted with those same gospel drifts that the Galatians were, we so quickly and easily pervert the gospel by believing we have to help it out. We take good things, things that are important in the Christian walk, but we make them central. And we present a counterfeit gospel. Let me give you some examples. How about this gospel? Jesus plus following rules equals the gospel. How many of you are like that? For a lot of my life, I grew up thinking that every time I heard a sermon that I needed to go and follow that set of rules in order to be a better person so I could be more acceptable to God. It's a counterfeit gospel. Jesus plus following rules is not the gospel. Jesus plus nothing is the gospel, and then from that, I do the things that he calls me to. It's the whole identity determines activity, not activity determining identity. What about this gospel? Jesus plus social justice equals the gospel. And social justice is an essential part globally. We need to be about fighting injustice. That's a part of being a disciple. We need to fight against all injustice, but, but fighting injustice is not the gospel. It's an overflow of the gospel. We must be careful to avoid mixing up the implications of the gospel with the gospel itself. The gospel is the good news of what Jesus accomplished. And then we act off of our understanding of the gospel and how it changes us. What about this? Jesus plus self-discipline equals the gospel. I study my Bible. I pray. I fast. I'm involved in a lot of spiritual disciplines. You know, I don't watch rated R movies. I only listen to Christian music. But I do those things because they increase my intimacy with Jesus, is what we would say. They push me further into my relationship with Christ. But here's the truth in that. We don't do those things to be saved. Only the gospel can do that. I'm saved, so I do those things. So I pray and fast and read my Bible and I do all those things. But God is not more pleased with me. He loves my obedience, but he's not more pleased with me because his, his ability to find pleasure in me is because he finds pleasure in his son. So you, let's take a scale and let's put all of our spiritual activity on one side and let's put the, the gospel of Jesus in the other and let's see which one outweighs the other. We, we, are, we are won over by the gospel and that leads to self-discipline in our life. Leads us to intimacy with Christ where we were reminded of the great salvation that we have, that has found us. What about this final one? Jesus plus knowledge equals gospel. I want you to know, church, we, we want to grow in wisdom, but knowledge does not equal all every time transformation. You can know a lot in your life be a wreck. You can have a Bible verse to combat every single thing that that comes your way and you can know that and not know Jesus knowledge does not necessarily equal nearness to God it is an avenue to get us to, to allow us to be closer to Jesus but it's only through Christ that we're able to stand and it's only through Christ that we're able to approach the throne of grace with confidence and this is most often when we respond in those ways of adding things this is most often driven because of one or two things one you believe that the gospel is too good to be true. How many of you are like that? I am, often. I mean, this is just too good to be true. I got to do something. And whether we don't, we don't acknowledge that, we functionally believe that because when we are, haven't read our Bible and we haven't uh, served well and we've kind of let our minds drift into some sinful things, what was our reaction? I got to claw my way back so that then I can be in right standing with God again. We believe the gospel is just too good to be true. There's no way that, they can be, that, that this can be all that there is to it. 
So we attempt to help the gospel out. We have to be careful, church, that we aren't calling things gospel that aren't gospel at all. The gospel is not tips for a happy life. The gospel is not knowledge. The gospel is not conformity to rules. The gospel is not social justice. The gospel is not about things that we do. Instead, it is the good news of what Jesus has already done. That's the gospel. And the second thing, if we don't believe that the gospel is too, uh, is too good to be true, the second way we lose sight of the gospel is we forget about from what depth we were saved. Man, I've been walking with Jesus now for 30 years. 30 years this year, I've been a follower of Christ, personal relationship with him. And the further I get from that time, it's so easy to forget the depths of the sin that I was rescued from. Man, I just pray, God, will you take me back to that moment, God, where you just first broke into my heart at 13. And I just felt such freedom and I just felt such rescue, God. I was, it was like literally a rope dropped down to, that, that, that saved me. And the further I get from that, the more I begin to feel entitled, the more I begin to feel like maybe I'm worthy of being saved. And we lose sight of the fact that the gospel is the good news because we were rescued from great depths. I pray that for, for you, that, this, that, the, that the gospel, this true gospel that God wants us to believe in, I pray that you never get to a point to where you feel like, uh, that you feel like the gospel is just too good to be true, or you feel like uh, that you lose sight of what the gospel is and how it first broke into your life. So God desires that we, that we believe the true gospel. Second, God desires his church to be centered on the only true gospel, to be centered on it. Think with me for a moment, if you will. What would look different about the church? Follow with me on this analogy. What would look different about the church if the true gospel was completely removed from its center? What would that what would it look like? Let's think about this. If we were to just remove the gospel, we were still doing our thing, we were still doing it in the name of, of God and, and the Bible, and we were still studying the Bible, but the gospel is not at the center anymore. What would take the place of the gospel? Ray Ortland says, uh, provides a list. And I, I read this list this week and it just really stood out to me. Uh, Ray Ortland's a great pastor of pastors and he said this. He said, here's some possibilities I would think. He says, uh, he writes that in the place of the gospel, we might have a passionate devotion to the pro-life cause. That'd be the center of, of what we do. He said, we might have a drive towards church growth. We might have a deep concern for marriage and family. So we might replace it with a clever appeal to consumerism, where we offer sort of a cost-free Christian life. He says maybe the gospel would be replaced with a determination to take America back to its Christian roots through political power. He says maybe we'll have a desire to fight for social causes and to seek the welfare of all people. And he says what troubles me he goes on to say, is that the church without the gospel might look exactly the way the church looks today. And as the body of Christ, we must be very careful to not just assume that the gospel is central because of the stuff the church is passionate about. We must not take good things and make them central. We must not take things we should engage in and make them supreme. All of those things are good and needed, but must be motivated by an overflow of the gospel working in and through the church. We must be centered on the only true gospel. Thirdly, God desires his church to proclaim the only true gospel. Church, we, I don't have to tell you this, but we live in a day and age where we are seeing more and more, even in our little uh, southern Bible belt bubble, we're seeing that more and more people do not know the gospel. We can't make the assumption anymore that people, you know, oh, well, they grew up, they probably know, they know what the gospel is. They don't. We live in a culture where there is, there's generational offspring that were never taught the gospel, and they don't know the gospel. And yet through our assumptions, we walk by people day in and day out who have never heard the good news of Jesus and their knowledge of God is just enough to condemn them. And Paul desires for the church at Galatia to, to proclaim the only true gospel and he calls us to do the same thing. 
We need to speak the truth that the gospel doesn't tell us what we have to do to please God. Instead, it announces that God is already pleased with us through the death and resurrection of Jesus. As a pastor, there are many days that I, my heart is heavy. So it's a bittersweet feeling. Mixed emotions of us, of, of being together and celebrating and equipping the saints and being excited about what God is doing. But man, I, there, there's a part of me, if I'm honest, where I wish every single week that we were seeing story after story as people are baptized, telling how they were far from Christ and they've come near to Christ. There's a part of me, and I recognize that that is the fruit, that's what the Holy Spirit does. I can't save anybody. I realize that it takes the work of the Holy Spirit. As the Holy Spirit, no one comes to the Father unless the Spirit of God draws him there. I know that that is a work of the Holy Spirit to regenerate hearts to believe. But I have to ask myself and ourselves this morning as the body of believers here, are we proclaiming that message? Are we gospel fluent and gospel passionate enough that we're actually not just showing kindness towards people but we actually are bringing them to a place where they hear the good news of the gospel and I'm not saying we force people to respond that's not the gospel that's the response to the gospel I'm saying are we going out and sharing the good news that Jesus died a death that we could not die to pay a sin he did not commit so that we might be the righteousness of God are we proclaiming that and I pray church that we will be passionate about that because that is our gauge of obedience. Are we being obedient to spread the gospel? God desires his church to do this. And finally, and maybe most importantly of the list, God desires his church to never outgrow the only true gospel. Walk with Jesus for 30 years now. Some of you may have been walking with him for 30 minutes, 30 days, 60 years. But as I have walked with Jesus, there is a tendency that we see the gospel as the starting line. And the further we get down the journey of life, the further we get away from it. May it not be so. We do well to just speak the gospel. Tim Keller says this. He says this gospel isn't the ABCs of Christianity. In other words, the starting point. He said it is the A to Z of the Christian life. It's the way that you go into the Christian life, that's salvation, and it is the way that you live out the duration of the Christian life. It's the gospel. So as we go through this study, I pray that every time we read about the gospel and we say, man, I know that, I know that, I know that, may we just fall in love with it all over again. God desires his church to never outgrow the only true gospel. <clears throat> so this morning... Our band's going to come and we're going to respond in worship. But I want to ask you a question, two questions. The first is this, in your life, and I mean in the heart of hearts, not what people think about you, I mean here, in your heart, are you clinging to the gospel? And if not, what is it that you're clinging to? What is it that you're clinging to? If it's not the gospel, what are you clinging to for hope? What are you clinging to for identity? What are you clinging to for the purpose of life? What are you clinging to for salvation? If it's not the true gospel. So I just ask you to evaluate as we walk through Galatians, evaluating your life. Am I holding on to the only true gospel? Do I cling to it? And if not, pray that God might re just rekindle and fan that flame of the fire in your heart for his, for his gospel that broke into your life. And I pray for that experience often. God, would you just take me back and allow me to, to just feel the feelings I felt the first time you broke into my heart, God. I don't want to be someone who 40 years down the road of following Jesus has lost touch with, the, with, with the, the, what the gospel did to my own life. Are you clinging to the gospel? And lastly, are you fighting for the true gospel? Are you a pillar and a buttress of the truth? And I don't mean this, please don't hear this morning, that means are you, to, are you taking to social media and blasting everybody with what you know about the truth of the gospel? Are we having real conversations with people in the, in the cultural circle of this life that we live in, starting in t inside here with the family, 
and then extending outward? Are you fighting for the true gospel? We're, we, we know that in end times it's going to be, become a difficult task. We're going to be, we recognize from, from uh, the New Testament that at the, in the end people are going to surround themselves with, with teachers who say what they want to hear. In church, we want to be the people who are upholding the true gospel, not because we want to dig in and say we're just all about this tradition. No, because it's the only liberating truth. It's the only way that people will come to know true life in Christ and know what it really means to follow Jesus. So I pray that we will be about that. And I pray that you'll join us each week as we dive into this book and as we just glean from it what God wants to say to the church at Four Points. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you. I thank you for the truth of your word.